0: He come seeking the show where we talk about our favorite tricks to god loki now streaming on disney plus well this ain't the place for that but keep a weather eye out mates and hold on tight with both hands if you please there'll be squalls ahead and davy jones waiting for them what do not obey And, and to, uh, New I I us,
1: both in own. terms of uh, subject matter and the fact that this is our first time recording two episodes in a row in two nights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing a double header, not least because Maureen is about to go across the country.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to a friend's wedding this weekend, so I am just gonna be busy as a bee tomorrow editing uh, this episode and the Thor Ragnarok one for your listening pleasure, and tonight we are going to talk about a new show that, pardon the pun, has made huge waves in the internet fandom. Our flag means death.
0: At the time of recording, this show has been the most in-demand show in the U.S. Um, for about a month now. It's it's insane. There, you know, I personally living in new york city which happens to be where uh hbo is headquartered um i didn't actually realize it because i think i live in like one of the only markets where they've actually been doing any advertising for this show but apparently this has been almost entirely a word of mouth phenomenon basically yeah i live in chicago
1: and maybe there's like a poster or two at a subway station but that's been about it like i've never seen any like ads uh on youtube or any commercials like that it's just been it's been like just so modestly advertised if at all and to have this reaction to have so many people watch this show to the point that it's outpacing like much more expected popular shows like moon night uh it's just like It really is nothing short of incredible how it's just an HBO Max exclusive, so it can't even, like, you can't even really watch it when it broadcasts on TV, because it doesn't. So for it to have, like, be this original show with an original premise, and it's not based on any, like, real, like, pre-existing fictional property, it's just, like, absolutely amazing to see it doing gangbusters. And for the fans to just, like, love this show so much and it's so confusing that uh even as we record this right now season two has yet to be confirmed
0: i mean i can only assume that it's a combination of working around uh taika waititi's uh schedule because for one thing the love and thunder press tour is about to start see we are slightly on topic (laughs) okay um (laughs) you know there's there's that i I believe that he in particular was actually just cast in um, in something else, but I can't remember what it was. But there's also the fact that, you know, at this point they've probably got whatever they want on their plate. Uh, you know, I feel like David Jenkins is probably out there negotiating as hard as he can for a bigger budget, a chance to have a larger cast. Although personally, I think the fact that this show was visibly made on like you know, a few million <laughs> and some pocket lint is part of the charm. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> like I, I have seen, like, music videos like uh, Gwen Stefani's Rich Girl that look just as convincing of, like, <laughs> this is so clearly shot on, like, a studio soundstage. And I love, like, the artifice of it. Because, like the fact that everyone in the cast is so sincere it just really uh blends together harmoniously
0: <laughs> yeah no it's it's been it's been great i you know but i think even though this obviously has been just an incredible fandom explosion over the last month i still think that what's blowing my mind is the fact that it's not just fandom in that sense you know the the fact that this like like i said it is the most streamed show in the U.S. right now. And so, you know, so we know that that's not all going to be people who run around in fandom spaces on Tumblr and Twitter, even though that's going to be, you know, a significant portion of that. But, you know, one of the things that it really comes down to, and I almost feel like not mentioning this straight up, it's almost like it's the elephant in the room, but, you know, it is sincerely probably one of the biggest steps forward in queer representation in just regular T V stuff. Which is a very weird way of phrasing it, but you know what I mean. It's just as as far as just just being like, you know what? We're doing it and that's and not having that be the theme of the show in terms of what it's pitched around is incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. As I was looking through uh the Twitter responses to David uh, Jenkins uh, uh, gushing about uh, the fans and how much uh, he loves the fact that they love the show. Of course, it's the usual like uh, Tumblr fan girls, but it's also a lot of like uh, uh, gay people, uh, gay men, uh, specifically talking about how it is such a rarity to see a show this well written, focusing on a gay love story between two men in their 40s. And, like, it's so rare in general to see, like, a true love story of people in middle age, but to see people in middle age who are non-hetero is, like, a needle in a haystack.
0: Yeah, and then you add on top of it, the fact is is that, you know, on the one hand, this is a very queer show, but on the other hand, it's again, you know, needle in a haystack for the fact that at the same time, it's not, it's it's a pirate show. This is a comedy about pirates. That's like, that, that's, I think that's the part that's really blowing my mind right now is that, you know, the, it's, it's not like, you know, oh, we're setting out to do like, you know, a, like another queer as folk type situation. This is a show about pirates. And it also happens to be one of the queerest things that has yet to be on tv Mm -hmm. and so essentially our flag means death is a very very loose dramatization of a real life 18th century pirate named steed bonnet who you might also remember from um assassin's creed black flag is what i've been told um And apparently there are certain things about Steve Bonnet that a lot that pop culture seems to generally agree on. And that is that he was just, just kind of some guy in some (laughs) ways. And for one reason or another, in real life, he was actually only in his late 20s. Although I guess, technically speaking, that was, that could be considered a relatively comparable stage in his life. I don't know. But But the point is, is that after a few small domestic interruptions in his life, it's, you know, it sounds like his marriage wasn't a particularly happy one. And this isn't in the show, but it did happen in real life. Uh, One of his sons actually died pretty suddenly. And there was a point where, almost like a joke about dad going out to get some milk and never coming back, there was a point where Steve Bonnet just kind of announced to his family that he had to do some business overseas, and he never came back because he went to go be a pirate. Hmm. We don't really know how that was decided. We don't really know, you know, what made him do that. He. It seems that there was, a, to a certain extent, by the time he was actually captured and put on trial, a lot of people seem to regard him as being something of a romantic figure in the literary sense and also probably insane. And this was partially borne out by the fact that he somehow, we don't quite know how or what what really caused this. And this is also something that ends up being part of the basis of the story in Our Flag Needs Death. We know that Blackbeard, of all people, somehow got wind of this guy, showed up and was just like, oh, this is the coolest guy I've ever met. And for a while, they actually were, like, you know, pirating partners, and that led to some very, like, it sounds like a joke. And and the thing is, is that for all the anachronisms and stuff that they put on this show, there are some aspects of it that, you know, when you look at the historical record, it's hilarious to see how well it lent itself to this show and, frankly, to the idea of them being lovers, such as the fact that there was one point where... Um, I believe it was actually a Spanish naval officer who spotted this in real life, but, um, they were scoping out his ship, or it might have actually been Blackbeard's ship, I can't quite remember, but, you know, they had the the telescope out, and Steve Bonnet was out walking around cheerfully on the deck in a dressing gown. Why was this man a pirate? We don't know. He just, he just wanted to run off and be a pirate. We know that in real life, he actually did bring a huge library on on board his ship. We know that he did name it the Revenge because he thought that that was just a really cool piratey name for a ship. Like, I cannot emphasize enough how much this guy was just was just like that. <laughs> And eventually things somehow seem to turn a little sour again between him and Blackbeard. We don't know the full circumstances of that, Um, but we do know that it ended with Blackbeard actually taking his ship and marooning most of his crew, which is also something that happens on the show, but under uh, significantly more tragic circumstances Uh, in real life. Uh, Steve Bonnet basically ran around using another few pseudonyms before he was finally apprehended with his new crew, and was sentenced to be hanged. Apparently, a whole lot of women actually protested against this because they had apparently, apparently, he became a little bit of a tabloid darling, <laughs> and there was there was a little bit of a you know oh you can't kill him he's such a fine gentleman and meanwhile for his part a- again I I would just like to point out that. In real life, a lot of people were of the opinion that he was just insane and this is the kind of thing that makes me think that maybe they had a point. His brilliant idea in real life to get out of being hanged was to plead to have all of his limbs amputated so there was no way he could go into piracy again. (laughs) I would like to emphasize that was his idea. That was not something that the court threatened him with. My God. Yeah. Um, and suffice it to say, in real life, that was not successful. And uh, presumably, that was—that's the kind of thing that even a judge in the 18th century Caribbean would just look at him and just be like, "My dude, what the fuck?" <laughs> um, you know what? <laughs> so anyway, that was that was the end of the real life steed Bonnet. Um, just this absolutely insane relatively early midlife crisis because again this man was roughly 31 when (laughs) when this was over in real life i mean he he was younger than either of us are right now (laughs) yeah um so you know so if you if you've ever you know just suddenly decided that you desperately need a career switch think it through (laughs) think it through that's 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 my advice um and so that's that's the loose basis for this show although however um we're probably not heading toward the hanging although it wouldn't surprise me if eventually they give the well why don't you just cut off my limbs thing at least a shout out because
1: that is totally something what he would say in the show.
0: <laughs> it really is. It, it, it really is. So the um, the show's version of Steve Bonnet, who is played by Reese Darby, I have repeatedly described him as having the general uh, bearing and attitude of a really enthusiastic kindergarten teacher.
1: He is. Yeah, I can't think of a better way to describe him. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, he, he you know, he, he wants to be a pirate, but he also wants to be as nice about it as possible, which I'll, I'll give that a moment for you to consider that, um, you know, and, and his, his crew on the show is made up entirely of characters that were invented for the show. However, it does preserve the idea that Blackbeard was in one way or another, just incredibly intrigued by this guy. Except in this case, Blackbeard is essentially a jaded rock star who dresses exactly like uh, Max Rokotansky <laughs> And in a lot of ways, to him, Steed's whole thing represents a way of life that he never had. And a number of things that he was never allowed to enjoy, and also a level of vulnerability that he was never allowed to be. And it's basically the meeting between them in the show turns into a love story. And as of the end of the first season, it's currently one that is hitting its roughest patch possible. But that's why everybody wants it renewed. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here... We're sitting here pushing for it.
1: Yep, yeah, with bated <laughs> breath. Uh, so, I have to ask... Uh, what what made you want to start
0: watching this show? I mean, for one thing, it's Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I remember actually hearing about this. I, I want to say just the announcement that the show was going to be made probably in like 2018, 2019. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is going to be fun just the idea of it being a kind of absurdist pirate comedy and there's a lot of that in this in this show I mean it's it is a period piece only in the loosest possible sense
1: yeah you can really tell uh it's starring alumni from flight of the Concords in terms of just sheer wackiness and like looseness <laughs>
0: yeah and and the entire visual aesthetic I am I am in love with it it is it is when I describe this it sounds really shoddy but it there's it's not there's an earnestness to it and it's all really nice to look at I should I should emphasize but you know the clothing especially like steed is the only one who is really fairly consistently dressed in like actual 18th century clothing Although, his, his, he's got, like, Victorian fancy lad hair. So, even And, <laughs> yeah. like I said, Blackbeard spends about 90% of his screen time in what is quite literally Mad Max cosplay. Mm-hmm. Like, down to the knee brace.
1: <laughs> uh, I just found out this bit of trivia. Uh that it's a show that despite having a relatively uh, meager budget it really invests in visual storytelling uh
0: yes yes so,
1: that's yeah sp- but specifically uh for the most part we see blackbeard wear fingerless gloves but during the yes. first time he is open with steed he is uh bare-handed and yeah. then after he uh, gets his heart broken and, like, uh, really surrenders to the Kraken persona, he wears full-fingered leather gloves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's fully closing himself off from that kind of tenderness.
1: Oh, and I just love the visual storytelling
0: <laughs> so much. I mean, it, it's been an interesting couple of weeks because, you know, it's nice that at least in this case, Maureen and I are fully on the same page here <laughs> because, um, I, I, as I mentioned a few months ago when we did our Dune episode, the, the Dune situation was kind of an interesting ride because, you know, early on, because I'd I read the books at least to the end of God Emperor of Dune. So I was familiar with them and I, you know, I appreciated a lot of the rather surreal internet shitpost humor mm-hmm. that people had made out of it. And so when the new, um, you know, when the Denis Villeneuve, uh, Dune movie was coming out and they started making a whole, a whole lot of more Dune memes, I was just like, oh yes, Dune memes, the cream of the internet. And I was sending them to Maureen, and she was just like, Megan, is this going to be the new thing? <laughs> is this is this going to be like the terror is for you? And I was like, nah, I just, you know, I like Dune memes. And then... <laughs> here's the thing. This was followed by Maureen getting really into Dune to the point where even literally today, she is still sending me Dune memes. <laughs> it, it is, at, at this point, like, I'm sorry, Maureen, you were kind of the Dune friend. Um... <laughs> I own you that. Just, you just, you just went, you you just went so, like you know, you you are just you know riding that sandworm for five county lines now. Just call um, me.
1: Just call me Mo Adeb.
0: <laughs> oh my god. And so. Meanwhile, you know, I, a few weeks ago, when I first started watching this show, I was like, you really, you really need to watch Our Flag Means Death. This is, you know, I, and you were kind of, you were a little ambivalent about it. And then I think it was probably like two days into it that you sent me the text about, you know, and then when they started playing The Chain, that's when this show went from good to great. Yeah, and I am. from that e- point on, I mean, for one thing, I, I. I have been getting so many Blackbeard texts from (laughs) Wolverine. It's, you know, I, I I made kind of a vague comment early on about how, like, oh, God, the two main characters of this are, like, they are exactly the kind of dynamic that you and I tend to cosplay together, like, when we're not just Thor and Loki. And... I, you know, and it kind of hit me a little while into it that I I wasn't sure and I still am not sure how up I would actually be to doing a Steed cosplay. You know, I really don't know how much I want to do like 18th century crossplaying or whatever. I mean, I do have a pair of Fluvog shoes that actually have a buckle on them. And like, I was kind of like the absolute self parody of me owning these shoes when we're talking about this, but I, and, but then Maureen was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I really connected enough to, to Ed as he's called in the show for most of it, you know, I don't know if I really, you know, connected to him. And that's kind of important for cosplaying. And then she mentioned that, you know, also, you know, she doesn't really have a crush on, um on Taika Waititi. So then, you know, she wasn't going to like, you know, so that wasn't really going to enter into it either. And then I, (laughs) after a few days, I was just kind of like, (laughs) Maureen, you seem really, really attached to Blackbeard. And she was like, and she was like, well, I mean, but that's the thing. I don't have a crush on him. And I'm like, no, Maureen, I think you are really attached to this character without wanting to fuck him.
1: <laughs> and the thing is, it took me so long to wrap my head around that because that is just, that just doesn't happen. Like, it's so insanely rare for me to, like, glomp onto a male character without finding him sexually desirable.
0: <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm me, you know, the non-sexual Loki and Doyer, I'm just sitting here just, like, waiting for this to click. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, come on, you're almost there. You're almost there.
1: And I, like, I texted her, like, me being, like, the confused math equation lady trying to put the pieces together of, like, Wait a minute, he wears a lot of black leather, he has daddy issues, to the point that he killed his father, he cuts himself off from vulnerability and the people who love him the most, and he insists that he's a monster deep down, but he's actually not that bad. Oh my god, do I have a type.
0: (laughs) And there you go, it it turns out that that extends even to characters that... You know, you don't even feel comfortable with the idea of crushing on because they're gay.
1: Yeah, that's another thing. Of like, <laughs> I feel like it would just be like, yeah. Let me be clear. I went to art school in the late two thousands, and I <laughs> never had a yaoi phase. And after I graduated, during the height of like Tumblr fangirls and shipping and like super hulak and Merlin, I was never ever into those ships. <laughs> <laughs> but god damn it if I don't love
0: me some black bonnet oh <laughs> I mean this is this that makes it incredibly tolerant that you allowed for me to do so many like you know fitzier jokes for the sake of my uh of my tumblr followers at, back at last year's comic con so thank you for that <laughs> but you know but but come to think of it like honestly that's that is this close to being canon. And that's actually a case where like the actors straight up said, I don't even think that that one was necessarily like, you know, hidden or suppressed or anything. I think that it was just kind of like, it's a situation where the characters don't even really need to say so. Whereas meanwhile, Our Fly Means Death, it's a romantic comedy, you know, it's a romantic comedy and they can have the big damn kiss if they want to.
1: Mm-hmm. Why do you think it was so easy for the show to have a canonical gay romance when so many shows prior have struggled so much with queer coding and queer baiting. And like, why do you think that this show has just like been able to take that leap when so many other shows couldn't?
0: My actual theory on this, aside from the idea that like, oh, it's always been that easy and people just, you know, and unless you're dealing with Disney, it's not going to be that much of an uphill battle, but I think probably a big thing in this show's favor, which is honestly kind of sad in the long run, but, you know, at the same time, once again, it's now the biggest show in the U.S. I think to some extent it might have been the fact that it is so clearly the streaming equivalent of a post-Watershed show. Mm. The streaming, I mean... You know, it's kind of one of those things where I feel like if they're saying fuck, like, 15 times per episode, they're probably not worried about it being taken as, you know, family entertainment that they have to pander down to. Which, to be clear, I don't agree with, but I'm talking about, like, from, like, a suit perspective. I have a feeling it was that. I You know, especially considering that, you know, those kind you know, you know... The HBO 9 p.m. drama, I guess you could say, has always been willing to have, like, you know, tragic gay characters. This is on streaming. They probably figured out what the hell. And look at that. Look how that pays off. Wow. (laughs) You know, as, as a lot of people have pointed out, this is, you know,. You know, we're never going to be able to get away with scraps ever again. And I think that's beautiful. Just that, you know, this little pirate show that could, that has this, it has this central gay romance. It actually has a very touching, like smaller side gay romance between two characters that are basically comic relief. Although, well, I mean, I guess Lucius is sort of somewhere in between because as somebody pointed out on, um, on Twitter earlier today, thing about lucius is that he's he actually is kind of the brain cell carrier for the cast yeah (laughs) like you know like come to think of it lucius has a lot of funny lines but i wouldn't necessarily say that he is like a straight up comic relief character the way pete who ends up his boyfriend is um and for that matter it also has sincerely i i think this might be the first time i have ever seen a non-binary character featured who uses they them pronouns like throughout Mm -hmm. oh yeah for and played but i well actually you know what i'm pretty sure come to think of it just because i don't want to undercut this um i know that i know that apparently there is a non-binary character played by a non-binary actor who is a main character on the show billions i've i've never seen it but um but I, I don't, uh, I don't, and I, I cannot remember the actor's last name. Oh my God. I know that they're Ozia Kate something, but I can't remember their last name any, but I don't want to undercut, um, their achievement or the fact that that show introduced them as a character and put them in a plot line. That's not about being non-binary, um, But at the same time, I I mean, I think that the context in which uh, Jim on uh, Our Flag Means Death shows up is also really impressive because they're they're basically a subversion of the whole, you know, old school girl disguises themselves as a man. You know, what Mm -hmm. if that character wasn't a girl?
1: Yeah, I know. It's absolutely brilliant to see it played out. And... Also, uh, on another,
0: like, technically queer romance, uh, Jim's relationship with Oluwande. That's what I was getting at, yeah. That's, that was, that was what I was gonna get at, and it's, um, like, that, that's the thing. There is, there is a grand total of one straight romance in this (laughs) show, and it's Mary and Doug. And, uh, um, Mary being, uh, Steve's wife that he... Honestly, I mean, the show actually doesn't pull any punches with the fact that he abandoned her. But on the other hand, once he abandoned her, she started living her best life. And she's actually kind of disgusted, actually, when he comes back. (laughs) Not just at the idea that he would have the nerve to just waltz back into her life, but also because she was doing great.
1: I know. It's so refreshing to see the choice of him to come back, like, in every possible way be portrayed as... The Ron decision. He actually should have made the impulsive, romantic one to chase after Ed. And by trying to set things right, he's just made things way more awkward.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, and for that matter, I just want to point out, as others have before me, I really love that her art instructor, who is also her new lover... His name is Doug and I love the fact that they cast Tim Heidecker to play this guy and he is like one of the most normal people on the show. <laughs> like like Doug is entirely just this sweet nice normal guy and they cast Tim Heidecker for it and you keep waiting for him to do something weird and he never does. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> Which just might be the weirdest thing Tim Heidecker's ever done. I know it's 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 like it, it honestly approaches the subversion but you know they do that with a lot of the guest uh, with the guest comic actors on here now that I think about it like you know they have Leslie Jones playing Spanish Jackie and that you know she's fantastic at that but you know Spanish Jackie is also a relatively serious character and she has some genuine menace I mean you know she's one of the only like straightforward pirates in the show you could say mm-hmm. You know, she's one of the only ones that you can imagine existing pretty close to how she is in other media, although I should, I should clarify, she's one of the only ones that you can imagine existing fairly straightforwardly in other media who isn't clearly straining and, and close to having a fucking stroke from being in this show, which is, which is kind of the situation that Izzy Han spends most of his screen time in.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating to watch Izzy be such uh, a character who just feels like he is in the wrong story.
0: It, it's not only is he in the wrong story, but he is being driven actively insane <laughs> by being stuck in this story. Like, like it is, it is actually wreaking psychological damage on this man that he is in this show and it like as a choice that kills me. Like <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh. and and for that matter I just wanna point out that um Con O'Neill who plays uh who plays Izzy Hands has been one of the biggest cheerleaders on the cast. It's it's honestly it's it's him and uh Vico Ortiz who plays Jim and uh Samba and I <sighs> Forgive me, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, um, but Samba Shuta, who plays, uh, who plays Roach. The three of them have been very, very actively engaging with the fandom. There's, There's been a little bit from Nathan Fode, who plays Lucius as well, although a lot of it has just been fairly apt, ab- and not picking at him for saying this because I think it's funny, but okay, I, I know that he's also promoting another show that he's in in the UK right now, so that's also part of it. But I keep seeing him making responses along the lines of, you know, okay, who was going to tell me that you're all so much better at drawing than me? Because, frankly, it's just fucked up. <laughs> that kind of comment. <laughs> uh,
1: so, uh, I, think at fr- I think one of the reasons why I was a bit hesitant to start watching the show was because uh, I noticed there was a lack of of prominent female characters but as i started watching it i realized i'm actually okay with uh so few of them and if it were any other show that wouldn't be the case but what makes this different is our flag means death really does uh present itself as a key the key it presents itself as the cure for toxic masculinity. And it's all about the journey of finding healthy expressions of manhood and loving your fellow man in every possible way. And of course, female characters, they wouldn't need to learn that lesson.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, the... I would say that, you know, the, lesson, the only female character in this who's really quite tied into a lesson in the same way, unless you count Mary's really beautiful speech about what being in love with Doug feels like that helps uh, Steed realize that very definitively what he was feeling for Ed is like, you know, true love is um, Jackie's heart to heart with uh, Jim Mm. about how at this point they're pretty much at a stalemate and revenge isn't going to solve Jim's problems.
1: Yeah, and I love that uh, the role Izzy plays is basically, like, the devil on the shoulder of, like, telling Blackbeard to, like, revert to his old self and not, like, not go soft, not uh, choose love, uh, just to, like, really close himself off. And he's just, like, a great uh, contrast character to Steed.
0: And, you know, and honestly, it's kind of horrifying because, you know, this is I I realize that at this point, like everybody listening to this will have probably devoured the whole show. So, I mean, at this point, we're not really worried about spoilers around here. I mean, we've already said so many of them. But, um, you know, at the same time, it, it also wraps around to the idea that, you know, Izzy himself doesn't really allow himself to experience any you know, it, it is incredibly obvious that he is also in love with Blackbeard. Like, like you know, it, it, it just oozes from everything he does, except the thing is, is that he safely transferred that into the idea of being obsessed with keeping him as Blackbeard, of keeping him this violent, hyper-masculine, murderous ideal to the point where, you know, people meme about it all the time and it and like and when you describe it out of context it's really fun but you know the bit where he reverts to the persona by making Izzy eat his own toe is it it's not actually played for comedy in the slightest
1: no it's horrifying to watch and it's such a such an effective scene because <sighs> Izzy gets yeah. what he wants but he completely forgot yeah, that kind of comes with the territory. He's unleashed the beast, and now he has to deal with it.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, the fact that Izzy's response is to start genuinely, shakily <laughs> smiling with his own blood coming down his chin—like Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, is that you know, I'd I'd already seen that scene described before I got to it, and I was really expecting it to be played for pretty much just gross-out comedy. You know, even if it did represent him, you know, going back into his darkest self and everybody, you know, describing him, and the fact is, is that, you know, Izzy does almost, you know, he, he pretty much creams himself over it, possibly <laughs> literally. But the thing is, is that the way that it plays out in context, it does not it doesn't even come off as black comedy, in my opinion. It oh, is no. just it is just straight up horrifying. It's I, I think it's because I really thought that it was going to, you know, the way that the way that I'd seen it described really came off like it was going to be like you know really visual what what was going on and a lot of like you know screaming like eat it eat it or whatever <laughs> at him and instead it's just like you know he goes in and he you know he, he cuts his, his fucking toe off and just like gently nudges it into his mouth like go on go on don't forget to chew and it's like <laughs> holy fuck what is going on <laughs> I'm it, laughing now, but it's it's not funny the way it plays no, out. And, it, and the tonal shift actually really works for that. It I mean.
1: absolutely works. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love the show so much. It's such a good comedy until it's not.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, same with, you know, at the very yeah. least, attempted, possible, successful, I don't know, murder of Lucius. <laughs> like, you know, and when you think about the fact that he's the one who's like seen him hiding in the blanket fort crying and everything it's like he's clearing up a loose end oh yeah he's he's getting rid of the you know if steed's out of his life he's getting rid of the only other person who has ever seen him that vulnerable Mm -hmm. and it's and i i also think that just the idea of steed initially leaving because not only does he feel guilty about how he abandoned his family although then the show makes it very clear that you know he just he doesn't have any fucking idea how to be with his family he he does eventually you know make he does eventually make his peace with all of them but you know he he doesn't it doesn't work and you know and he uh, you know and he and mary you know they don't like each other at first is, you know, they don't really like each other until they both concede that they're in love with other people. Mm-hmm. But the his entire reason for leaving is that he want is, you know, that he, he thinks he's ruined Ed, which is just heartbreaking. Like, that's the thing is that he actually comes to believe that, you know, that by the simple fact of Ed, wanting to throw away that life for his sake that he's broken him on some level which you know which which you know which Admiral Badminton basically screams at him you know which by the way he doesn't get talked about in the context of this show very much but you know props to Rory Kinnear for managing to play those guys as two separate kinds of asshole it's really impressive it, it's really, it is it, it is really striking how different he manages to so make them from each other. So uniquely loathsome in his performance. Yeah, and at the same time, he manages to characterize them as two very different slime bags. And I, it, it, like, that really stands out.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when it comes to the relationship dynamic of uh, Steed and Ed... I'd like to talk about the fact that both of them come from uh, backgrounds of abusive fathers, but in very different ways, of a very different types of, like, uh, trying to enforce masculinity upon them. And what it says about their different, like, cultural upbringings and their class backgrounds and how they, like, uh, internalize that.
0: You know, something that really something that really struck me about the characterization of steed's father is the way that it's almost like and i don't think this was from the show i think i got it from his father as a character this weird sense of having of wanting to have his cake and eat it too in the sense that it's it's he, he simultaneously pulls the, you know, all you're ever going to be is a soft little rich boy, but also, but you have to do the things that soft little rich boys do, because anything else would be unseemly and below our class.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: And that's, you know, he, he really has him penned in for both sides there, whereas, um, not to dismiss it or anything, but what little we see of Ed's father, pretty classic abusive drunk. Yeah. Threatens his mother complains about food that she's worked very hard at cooking you know and it's obvious that his mother loved him very much and killing you know killing his father actually seems to have been more to protect her than himself
1: oh absolutely yeah and it's like and how it manifests in their adulthood of like how they're really like trying to run away from part of their identity or like trying to like remove himself mm-hmm. from the guilt and it manifests in the form of like the Kraken for Ed and for Steed it's like the ghost of uh Badminton taunting him
0: yeah yeah which again I i I I particularly love how as far as um as Nigel Badminton goes I've mentioned this to Maureen before but I really love that on a show where almost everybody is just using their own accents for comic value, you know, you've got you know, a bunch of actors from New Zealand just using their accents. You've got a whole bunch of Americans. Um, you've got uh Samba Shuda speaking Dutch, you know, that sort of thing. Um but then uh I really like that with uh with Nigel Badminton in particular Rory Kinnear exaggerates his own accent to the point where I swear he sounds like Homer Simpson doing a fancy lad voice sometimes, <laughs> and it kills me.
1: Uh Yes, all the actors do their natural accent, and then there's the Swede.
0: Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's that's true. Well, and for that matter, it, is, is Ewan Brummer's... Accent that strong as as Buttons is, is, or is that a little bit exaggerated? I, I can't don't tell. Know. Oh well, okay, okay. And then, honorable mention to Will Arnett playing uh, Calico Jack Rackham as basically a misplaced cowboy. Yes. <laughs> it's a show about pirates, and he rolls up like a cowboy. <laughs> And doing basically a southern-accented version of his Lego Batman voice at that. Oh my god,
1: yes. Honestly- He he
0: almost sounds- There are points where he almost sounds like Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice.
1: Honestly, he reminded me a lot of, like, a live-action BoJack Horseman, just in, like, encouraging toxic behavior and bringing (laughs) out the worst in people close to him- (laughs)
0: Yeah, but, I mean, the, the, the Losers, as he's, as he's climbing over the, the side of the ship, like, all I could think of was, like, oh my god, he sounds like Beetlejuice, and I can't say that (laughs) another time. Um.
1: (laughs) Uh. Speaking of, what's your favorite joke from this series so far?
0: Um. Oh god, let me think. Um. You know what? We might have to come back to that one. Maybe we'll maybe we'll have to do that later on in the episode. Okay. Because I I need to, I need to actually think. And you know what? I might even have to look on my own Twitter for that while we're doing. This. But, um,
1: my favorite joke is the flawlessly executed one where they're on the ship with the French aristocrats and Frenchy and Oluwande. Literally (laughs) manipulate them into a pyramid (laughs) scheme.
0: Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, for one thing, I really enjoy when somebody takes a relatively subtle but very, very specific pop culture joke. I thought it was really funny that they just made Nigel Badminton look exactly like Russell Crowe in Master and Commander. (laughs) Okay, actually, you know what, I know what my favorite joke is. It's when they're getting ready to use like theatrical effects to scare their next targets as pirates. And it's treated like a community like it, it's it's treated oh, like yes. trying to get the gang together for a community theater play. And I mean, and Steed has for no reason <laughs> other than making the joke work, he's he's basically he's he's wearing a black turtleneck he looks like a stereotypical like 1930s Broadway director I mean they even like flatten his hair down a little bit more so that it looks a little bit more like Marcel waved almost to get that effect it's and then you know so for one thing the whole theatrical sub subterfuge thing is referred to repeatedly as a fuckery which I think is great but I... then there's when the way that it actually plays out, you got to keep in mind, I worked in a haunted house for three <laughs> years <laughs> and that's basically what they come up with is, is they just end up coming up with a haunted house. I mean, I'm thinking especially of the, the shot where you just see Jim and silhouette cackling and like acting like they're pulling entrails out and, and the whole, the whole meeting that they have at the beginning of this, where everybody's making suggestions on how to make scary things, and theirs is, is literally just like, you know, I I could, like, stab a guy and all their guts could fall out. <laughs> <laughs> I knew very
1: early on watching the pilot that I would like the show because of the crew uh, or trying to arrange a mutiny, but when they uh, try and reconsider why they would want to keep Steed alive. They bring up, okay, but he's telling the story of a little one puppet and he does the voices.
0: (laughs) I would like to point out that apparently the historical Steed Bonnet actually did read to his crew (laughs) on a regular basis. Stranger than fiction.
1: (laughs) Ah, do we have any other thing we'd like to talk about this show?
0: Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, well, I mean, here comes the obvious. Okay, so considering that at least one more season is pretty much inevitable, what would you like to see happen? Because I know that one of the popular themes that people keep bringing up for this on Tumblr is, you know, they want to have a musical episode that's all Abba. <laughs>
1: Oh, my
0: God, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I mean, I've had a couple of straight-up, like, full-character ideas that are so developed that at this point I just know I'm setting myself up for disappointment because it's not like David Jenkins is reading my Twitter and taking notes. <laughs> but, you know, for one thing, I I would love to see more historical pirates on there. I mean, so one of the side effects of watching this show has been that I have convinced Maureen to watch Black Sails, which we will probably be doing as our next project, um, at least to get the first season over with before uh, we start watching the Obi-Wan show and recapping that in a new side series called So Uncivilized. <laughs> um, and that one's going to be... Um, Basically the same format as the Loki show, um, but you know there are a there's there are a lot of Black Sales fingerprints on this show, and the thing is is that I know that David Jenkins hasn't seen the show, um, and didn't want to get influenced by it. But uh, to quote uh, one of our flag mean death's sister fandoms, Good Omens. I still think somebody was playing silly buggers here because there's clearly a lot of black sales influence in here. And maybe not from him, but from somebody else in the writer's room or something. I mean, for one thing, the use of avalanche by Leonard Cohen is a pretty big tell, but there's also a lot of things in here that even if they're, they're funny enough as a historical thing, but they're even funnier if you've seen black sales. I mean, I was losing my mind when they had a, Ed and uh Calico Jack talking about uh Benjamin Hornigold and just being like, oh such a dick, such a fucking dick. Because like, yeah, that seems to be a con a constant across continuities. Big he, he is he's he's in black sales and he's a huge fucking dick. <laughs> but it had me thinking about how, you know, I would I would love to see more historical pirates in this, which, you know, tech you know, technically our two leads are also calico jack. But um, I've had some ideas for other pirates to put in this. And one of them is I would love to see Samuel Bellamy, otherwise known as Black Sam Bellamy. Um, and my a big part of my idea for him was almost sitting back and thinking, how could we put a straight character on this show that would still make queerphobes really itchy? <laughs> and I was thinking, so... Sam Bellamy in real life is probably single-handedly responsible for the entire like romantic good guy pirate image. He was definitely about as close to that as you were going to get in real life unless you count um, the significantly less known, although I am about to read a book about them. There was a pretty big ring of, of Jewish pirates who were in it for good reasons, you know, resisting empire and, uh, freeing slaves and stuff like that. But most of the image that we have, uh, comes from Sam Bellamy, who was an enlisted, uh, I think he might've actually been like shanghai into the Navy, ended up, uh, ended up escaping and, you know, leading this crew of, you know, formerly enslaved people and former prisoners that he'd freed and, you know, and, Always, you know, whenever he went into battle against the British, you know, always announcing that if there was anybody on their side that felt like they'd been mistreated, you know, come over here, you know, you know, you don't, you know, do you really want to throw your lives away for these people? Do you really want to break your body and, you know, end up begging for these people? And it sounds like to some extent that was actually a pretty successful tactic. He was an extraordinarily successful pirate. And from the from what I understand, he was also a huge wife guy. And when they found the wreck of his ship, because he actually died in a storm and not battle, if I remember correctly, they actually found like, literally like baby toys and things like that, that he had stolen intending to bring back to his unborn child. You know, just this, this really over the top romantic sympathetic figure. And that means it for the purposes of this show, not only do you really want to exaggerate the wife guy detail, into the idea that, you know, we know more about their sex life than anybody needs to know. And it's kind of like, well, okay, good for you guys. But I think that he should also, even if the setting doesn't make any sense, he needs to enter as many scenes as possible swinging on a rope and going, ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> Do you have you know, any fan cast ideas in mind? Oh my god. Um, well, I mean, I was thinking, you know, basically anybody who's ever been kicked around for the idea of... Um, you know the most ludicrously handsome man you've ever seen um you know so i think that for many people that's almost automatically oscar isaac Ooh,
1: that'd be a good one
0: yeah um and i you know it's it's kind of it almost comes down to you know who have you seen on a list of guys to play harvey dent because it's really important that he's really handsome before that happens to him And, you know, so, you know, I I keep seeing that, like, oh, you know, always the top three (laughs) RV tent fan casts I'm seeing for the Reeves verse, are always, like, you know, Oscar Isaac, John David Washington, and sometimes Lee Pace. Any of those would work really well for this. Oh, I would love to see a pirate Lee Pace. (laughs) Well, and you know what? And it would also be really funny to have him play, you know, considering that I don't know, I don't know entirely... What anybody's orientation is in real life on this show, and I don't want to guess for anybody that hasn't stated it. But it would be very clever in this show to have the token heterosexual played by an out gay man. Mm. <laughs> and that would be a thing. And on the other end of the, on the other end of the the pirate morality scale, and in terms of setting like the fictional idea of it beyond the beyond the real life Blackbeard who. Actually, fairly true to the show. Um, If anything, the version on the show is actually more violent than he was in real life, because in real life, he really did like to do just random over the top theatrics to scare people. Um, Although he did apparently at one point, like, shoot a few of his own guys in the knee. And when they were like, why the fuck did you do that? He was just like, yeah, well, you know, I had to do that. Or, you know, you would forget who I am, which feels really chilling in light of the show just saying but in terms of the like the the full opposite of sam bellamy uh concept probably the the biggest uh tone setter for the idea of the complete vicious bastard pirate was a fella known as uh ned lowe who loved him a bit of torture oh yeah his, he, you know, he already had a criminal record, although it wasn't anything too bad before that, but his wife died in uh, giving birth to their first child who also died. And that experience messed with him badly enough that he ran off to become easily the most vicious and brutal pirate, at le- I guess, at least Western pirate, you could say, um, in history. Just, just... Absolutely monstrously cruel, and obviously you can't get too dark with with him on this show. But I I kind of had this theory the other night. I was thinking of you know more pirates you could bring into this, and for one thing, great foil to Ed in the sense of something happened to him that broke his heart and he really turned into this completely irredeemable monster. But also thinking about the idea of you know. Who would be somebody who typically most of the time does comedy and would be really good at coming off super friendly until he does something just absolutely gut-wrenchingly awful, even if it's on screen and he's... Even if it's off screen and he's walking back on spattered blood. And I was just thinking, you know who would work for that? John C. Riley. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, you know, just... You know, just have him, have him show up and, you know, an ally himself and, you know, and in that friendly way of his, have him say something along the lines of, you know, something along the lines of how it's getting harder to remember what his wife's voice sounded like, but it's getting easier to remember what the screaming sounded like as she died. God damn. Something like that, but, and then just kind of shrugging, you know, and just, you know, just have him as the absolute worst case scenario.
1: And it's also, I'm not thinking of, like, that would be, like, a sort of, like, Tim and Steve Brulé on the same show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wish this was in a visual format, because I would just have to respond with that, for your hell, if we're like, flipping off the camera. <laughs> so what's, so, um, other than... <clears throat> Other than a uh, Mama Mia, but this time it's pirates. What's what's your uh, what's what's your wish list for season two?
1: Um, obviously, first and foremost, I just want to see uh, Steed and uh, Ed get back together. But I of understand course. that David Jenkins originally, uh, ideally, planned it out as a three-season series. So obviously, that would have to be at the end. So maybe. I don't know. Maybe as Ed's going through his, like, point of darkness, it will be interesting to see, like, maybe... I don't know. I'm thinking, like... I'm thinking of, like, plot symmetry. So maybe season two, Ed goes into his, like, his darkest point, but then uh, he goes on a journey of realizing, oh, I don't want to be that person anymore... And he just has, like, some time away from Steed where he realizes what really matters. And then when he gets reunited, Steed goes through a really dark turn. And now it's his turn to, like, really be, like, the worst version of himself. And Ed has to be the one to save him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Also... If we're talking about really, really dashing pirates, just like who told you you could be that handsome, Roger Jean Page.
0: Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come to think of it, yeah, yeah, that that would also that would also be good, man. I haven't even seen Bridgerton, and as soon as you said that, I'm just like, my my eyes have been awakened. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh yeah (laughs) um (sighs) and obviously we need to have more great needle drops oh yeah well and obviously I think that it kind of goes without saying you know let's get some Anne Bonnie up in there and also I mean I would be fine with what people are saying about like you know oh and let's have let's have her and and mary reed be lesbians but honestly the more historical research i've done related to pirates since watching this show the less convinced i am that mary reed was a woman so that might kind of get in the way of the lesbian thing hmm. <laughs> that's all i need. um i mean to the point where i mean i even saw that uh uh, Vico Ortiz even described Jim as a little bit of a riff on Mary Reed and I was like, "Oh, that's telling." <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, by comparison, everything that I've read about Anne Bonny does seem to indicate right, this was a woman who wore men's clothing for convenience because she was a pirate. Whereas with Reed, I with Reed, I I really get a strong impression that there was something more gendery going on there. Mm. So when we get back at you again, we are going to be doing ideally a special two-parter about Batman because we can't fully guarantee the schedule on this yet, but um, we're hoping for the second half of it that we will be able to have a special guest for it. And it's not like a celebrity special guest or anything, <laughs> don't get excited. But um, we are hopefully going to be able to, even whether it's a one or two-parter, we are going to be doing a deep dive into a little-known bit of Batman fandom history. And I don't want to spoil it too much there, but it's um, it will also serve as some of the first... Uh, preview of what we will be doing on the podcast that we are on with my friend gibson del judas a good nightmare comes so rarely the rise and fall of dance of the vampires so So... we've got that to look forward to we've got the obi-wan show to look forward to and pretty soon we are going to start watching black um black sails
1: yep so we have a lot of fun topics we can't wait to share with you. So stick around and listen up. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse us, we have to go rescue our maroon crew.
0: <laughs> who is the crew? We had a crew? <laughs> well
1: we do now!